Hey there, collectors. Welcome once again to Michael's Record Collection. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and in this episode, I'm talking to Mike Cannell of the Cannells. If you're not familiar with the Cannells, they are a band from North Carolina, an alternative rock band. Kind of came into power um, around 1993 when they released Ring. It had a song on it called 7475, which was, uh, you know, a modest hit, but they were a staple on alt-rock radio and college radio stations uh, in the early to mid-90s, and a, a band that I think would appeal to fans of R.E.M., uh, Jangle Pop, and Americana. I think the Canals blend kind of all of that very, very well. They've really matured as songwriters and musicians over the years, and they're putting out their first album in 20 years. This album is called Stedman's Wake. It comes out on September 24th, and there's some songs on it that really sound like they could have come from Ring, and just a really strong, strong return to recording for the Canals. I'm very excited for them. So I can't wait to bring you that interview. Talking Mike Cannell and Stedman's Wake by the Canals. Here we go. All right, welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I'm very happy to have with me a very special guest for this episode. It's Mike Cannell from the Cannells. Thank you for being with me. Thanks for having me. Excited. Really appreciate that you're, uh, you've had me on. So, Yeah, I'm, I've been a, a big fan of the Cannells since the since ring came out really i i was a big fan um alternative radio was playing get a gun and stone cold yesterday and then when slack jaw and, and 7475 came out i had to run out and get that album right away because it, it was those songs were really great and we'll talk about really great in a bit but uh <laughs> the other thing about it was that i found such incredible gems on that album uh, especially new boy and disappointed those ended up being those are probably my two favorite Canel songs. Oh, wow. Wow. So there I don't know go. if you want to give away any trade secrets. Uh, I know lyricists often don't, but um, do you want to tell me a little bit about uh, New Boy and Disappointed to get us started here? Uh, yeah, I could do that. First, I'm going to get my dog up on the, uh, the sofa. Okay. He's be that's, barking that's fine. I apologize. All right, Charlie, come here. <laughs> we got a little bonus guest this time out here on Michael's Record Collection. Yeah, and we we hope that he'll uh, keep his big mouth shut on the whole. <laughs> so yeah, you know it has been it's been a long time, obviously since I wrote those tunes. I mean, it would have been ninety one, ninety two. I don't think I think by by the end of ninety two we had all the songs that we were gonna record for Ring because we it was in March of ninety three that we went up to Woodstock with Luigi Ordano to make that record. So. so um, it's it's been a while, but uh, disappointed. You know, the, uh, it is another run of the mill failed relationship song, <laughs> which who knows what percentage of uh, rock pop songs are, are failed relationship songs. But uh, that's it's one. It's yet another one, mm -hmm. um, for better or for worse. It it is a little um, a little more acerbic. I guess uh, that the lyric, if I uh, disappointed you, I'm so sorry. You're, you're a disappointment too, is not, is not at all nice. And I, I typically don't go down that path, uh -huh. but uh, damned if I didn't uh, with that song, I, I, I hope, I think that it was somewhat tongue in cheek, but um, yeah, it was, it's a failed relationship song. New Boy, on the other hand, is a, a new relationship 
song. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and, you know, I should, I, I don't want to get, I, I don't, I didn't have definite ideas necessarily sitting down to write it, but, it, you know, I guess it's just um, trying to capture that feeling, you know, when you're enamored of someone for the first time and some, some of the uh, emotions that that uh, spawns it's now you know it's been a long time since i've experienced that as well but um yeah they're, they're just throwaway pop songs you know I do like, you know, the melodies for both those tunes mm-hmm. um, and what the other guys did with their arrangements. George Huntley, that single note part in New Boy, uh, I, it's, I guess you'd call it the signature um, single note part, mm-hmm. uh, works really well, I think. And, you know, we employed uh, a tactic that we use probably way too much, but the whole breakdown, you know, we're... Um, it's typically in the last verse um, it, with hopefully, you know, creating some dynamic when you build back into that final round of uh, choruses and uh, Doug did some ad libbing at the end uh, on the, you know, the rollout or whatever. I don't even know what you call that part of the song, but yeah, live the song works to pretty good effect some nights and uh, less so other nights. <laughs> But yeah. uh, it is one that routinely ends up in, in a set list. Uh, disappointed uh, is more hit or miss. Okay. But, uh, no, I appreciate. Yeah, I, I, um, I like those uh, tunes. Um, they don't, you know, they're not requested, you know, the way that like Slack Jawed, like you pointed out, mm-hmm. 74, 75 would be. Yeah, so. always been a deep track guy anyway, but uh, that album got me through some tough times. The 90s were not a, a good time for me, the early to mid 90s. So I, I thank you for the music. And um, I'm, you, yeah, I'm sorry. No, sorry it's great. I mean, I, I never, you know, I never went down a really dark path, but it, it was a tough time. And, and, and Ring was one of the albums that got me through that tough time. I've always turned to music to get me through the hard times and to help celebrate the good times. So speaking of good times, you guys have a new album coming out September 24th. It's your ninth album, Stedman's Wake. And this has been sort of a long time in the making. It's been 20 years since your last album. But uh, you put this together over a period of, a, of many years, and including three songs that were on the Old School Dropouts album. Can you just talk talk a little bit about Gladiator Heart, Rusted Fields, and, and Hello, Walter, and, and why you chose those to, to redo for this new album? It's a great question and one that I've pondered myself a few times. I, d- I don't recall the thought pro- process that went into that. I mean, I think the, the thinking was that any and all of the songs on that record, it had never been available for uh, digital distribution. or So we thought we could, um, you know, pilfer from that record, get away with it. And, you know, any of the songs would have benefited from the treatment that uh, those three were given. Um, when we got back in the studio, I, I swear I have been scratching my head a little bit, uh, asking myself, why, why the hell did I, you know, lobby angle for those three versus, you know, songs like Back in Blighty Put Down and, and some others on, on that record, which would have been a little more raucous and up-tempo. So I, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, I do, um, I like Rusted Fields a lot, notwithstanding the fact that it is, you know, a snoozer, uh, mid-tempo. But I think that it, um, at some point in the tune, it generates a little bit of ex- um, more excitement than, than the remainder of the tune. Mm-hmm. But the, just the, um, 
sort of the images that I have in my mind with that tune, uh, I found sort of intriguing. And the whole notion of um, Southernness is sort of um, touched on in a pretty, I don't even know the word. Yeah, I'll leave it at that, that uh, I was trying trying to get somewhere with uh, whatever it means to be Southern, especially in these times. Head out, I'm heading out, I'll see you there. Across the waves of steel, head out. Now I see you there across the rusted fields out beyond the mills, radioactive fields went out into the night. We got right, we got right. I think I've tried to describe. Rust feels is sort of a post-apocalyptic love song. All that stuff about you know mills that are, are and there are a lot of textile mills here in the South that have just shuttered, and and we live relatively close to a nuclear power plant. So the whole radioactive fills bit, but uh, and and then you know cars rusting, uh, old cars rusting in fields is something that uh, it's not uncommon to see you know, driving through rural, the rural part of the South. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm, I really do like uh, that tune. Gladiator Heart, it, a little tougher to say why I made that call. And, uh, and Hello, Walter is, is more personal. It's about my best friend growing up. Hello, Walter. And there are references to Macon, Georgia in the tune. Um, and we did. Um, the river that's mentioned is the Okmulgee River in Macon, Georgia. And Rose Hill Cemetery uh, looks down on the Okmulgee. And that's where uh, Dwayne Allman and Barry Oakley are buried beside one another. Mm-hmm. They died about a year apart, uh, both on motorcycles there in Macon. And so that was, a, uh, understandably, a big hangout. So... You know, the squares and the freaks were uh, converging on uh, Rose Hill Cemetery. Yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, that song, you know, has personal significance for me, which might ha- have some reason, um, have something to do with why I selected that one. Yeah, you, you brought up the, the lyric there. I, I wrote it down, out beyond the mills and the radioactive fills, we went out into the night. And such an evocative line. And I wrote down, is this a real place? Where is this? So, uh, you know, you kind of talked about that a little bit. Yeah, there's uh, adjacent to the county that that I live in, Wake County is uh, Chatham County. And it's um, it is largely rural, you know, even though that's changing a little bit like everything else. But uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful countryside. But with, you know, some of those fields with uh, littered with with the carcasses of old cars mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the juxtaposition is uh, intriguing. But, yeah, I mean, I just I, I love um, just driving in, through the countryside in Chatham County. So it was uh, in, which is also where the nuclear power plant happens to be. So all of that uh, brought that uh, particular you know part of this state to mind. Mm-hmm. The band right now, as it stands, is, is yourself on guitar and vocals, David Connell, your brother, on bass, Doug McMillan on vocals, uh, Steve Potak on keyboards, you know, Mike Ayers on guitar, who's been in the band since 2002. He take he took over for George Huntley, or, or is in the position that George Huntley formerly was in, and Rob Ladd on drums, who's been in the band since 2012. This is Mike Ayers and Rob Ladd's first appearance on a Connell's album. 
It is. Yeah. Like you pointed out, Ayers, Mike Ayers started playing with us probably not long. What, what year did you say? Um, I think two, it said 2002. I believe I got that from the website. Yeah. So that would have been right after. And I say released old school dropouts. We, I mean, there wasn't really any release to speak of. It, yeah. Those were demos. We thought that we were going to still be with, get back in the studio with TVT records. Mm -hmm. And so th those were songs we just recorded in our practice space. And uh, so when we got dropped by TVT, you know, we were like, well, we've, we've you know, demoed these tunes, uh, what to do with them. Uh, think uh, with no thought at all to, to try and uh, to try to get back into the studio to make, you know, quote unquote, a proper record. Mm -hmm. So we just uh, pre pressed up some CDs and put them out, you know, as is. And again, that was uh, th that record was not available digitally. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so that's why we thought we could, we could get away with uh, with a re uh, recycling yeah. uh, three of those tunes. So, yeah, Ayers uh, has been with us all through those, uh, you know, the, the 20 years that this record was really slowly coming together. Mm -hmm. It's no longer, you know, we all, well, we have day jobs now and, 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 you know, families came along. So it's not like when we would, when the record company would send us, you know, to Woodstock, New York or Wales uh, for four or five weeks to, to make a record. Yeah. You know, the impulse and the opportunity to write songs it's 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 tougher with dogs and and children running around yeah uh, just not as much time but uh, yeah so I, I it's a real wound roundabout way of i don't know how i got on that tangent uh, with mike airs but <laughs> yeah yeah airs has been with us for a long time rob ladd was a session guy out in california he's played with a lot of bands um he played on half of that alanis morissette record that a bitter pill, a jagged, little, jagged pill. little pill. Yeah, that yeah. was so huge. And for three years, he was Don Henley's drummer when Henley went on tour. So that you know, in and of itself, says something about his his drum playing ability. I mean, this is a playing drums for the guy who was the drummer for the Eagles. Um, mm -hmm. I think probably says about you know all that you would need to say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You, you mentioned old school dropouts. Uh, I'm waiting on my copy to come. Uh, Bandcamp sent me a, a notice that it's coming. I already got the, I downloaded the the digital version and I've been listening to that. And the three songs that made it to to Stedman's Wake, they're not significantly different, but they, they have a, a, obviously a better production. They, they sound a little more full. I guess uh, there's a little more meat on the bones. That's what I'm trying to say. So it's, yeah, uh, they're, 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 they're good songs. And, um, you know, it, it certainly would, uh, wouldn't be bad if all of them got that treatment uh, at some point. Oh yeah. No, as bad, as bad as it is. And you know, I know that it seems like in the eighties it was happening to some extent, you know, I know that there were Smith's records where some particular tune would show up on, on two or three different records. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. Oh yeah. I've uh, absolutely given thought to um, <laughs> doing the same with, again, some of the more upbeat tunes and, now we would just go to uh, our sound man for 30 odd years. Tim Harper is um, is now set up to record in his uh, he has a little studio back of his house, which also happens to be our practice space. So, yeah, we do. We now could just do that very thing. Again, so few people have heard old school dropouts or aware of it. Well, that's probably true of all of our records, but uh, especially <laughs> true of that one. <laughs> that uh, I think we, we probably could get away with it. And I definitely uh, given some thought to that, to that very thing. Yeah.
some of these songs were done with Mitch Easter, who, who you haven't worked with in quite some time. In fact, you guys, for a long time, I, I don't think you guys have, had ever used the same producer. Uh, what was it like to to work with Mitch? And what was the breakdown with the songs you did with Mitch and the songs you did with John Plymo? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it was great to get back with Mitch. I mean, it, it had it was the drive-in back in '87 when we recorded Boylan Heights, mm-hmm. which was the, the second record. Um, so his studio now is Fidelatorium, and it is uh, it's uh, uh, you know it's state of the art. It's awesome. So we went in to do the basic tracks for five of the tunes, and I swear I think Rusted Fields and Gladiator Heart were were in the mix. And I'm I'm trying to remember what the other three uh, basic tracks that we did there would have been because it was it was the summer of 2016 that we went in with Mitch, mm-hmm. you know, thinking naively that we would be driven and, you know, that we could make it work logistically, you know, to knock it out sooner than five years, <laughs> which it ultimately took. Um, yeah, I had no inkling that it was going to take that length of time. But, you know, granted, some things interfered. Rob Ladd was in a uh, really bad automobile accident. And, you know, it was uh, touch and go even there for a while. And COVID, of course. Yeah, the um, pandemic pushed it back. Um, h- how long did that push it? end up pushing it? Just like a year and a half? I think that's about right. So John Plymouth went up to New York with, uh, with Greg Calby for the mastering in March, early March of 2020. I mean, days before the world shut down. Well, this part of the world, I, I realized parts of, of uh, Asia and Europe had, were already there. But uh, yeah, so, it, you know, as you know, the world started uh, shutting down in the U.S. there in mid-March of 2020. So the mastering had been done days before that. Uh, so, yeah, at that point, we thought, get it mastered, you know, shop it for a few months. And if nothing, if no one bites, release it ourselves in, say, August or September of 2020. So I guess closer to a year, it pushed it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, it's coming out. It's on Black Park slash Missing Peace Records. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, do you find that it's a bit nerve wracking for you waiting for the release to come out? This thing's been in the can for so long. That's a great question. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm second. I, I second guess um, with good reason. I second guessed every record we made, and you know, felt ambivalent. You know, there are always things that you wish that you'd done otherwise, or things that you had done that you just didn't do at all. So yeah, I do find myself a little anxious about you know how this might be received. Again, it's not, you know, I say all that and um, I've seen enough, um, like anyone who's lived, you know, 60 odd years, especially recently with between, um, you know, political turmoil in this country and a global pandemic. It puts things, you know, quickly into proper perspective. You know, hopefully some people will like some things about the record and and I will, I just kind of leave it at that. Yeah. The first single was that you put out was really great. And, and I'm not just saying it was really great because that's the title. It was a really great song. I mean, you talk about your upbeat songs. This is one of the, you know, the popular, you know, more upbeat tracks on the album. And it's, it's, it's got that acerbic or, or, or at least sarcastic bent to it that you were talking about with disappointed uh, because the, the lyrics would point to somebody who's not really doing great, but it, it still has a, a positivity about it. Yeah, that's a great characterization. Um, uh, you know, part of the positivity is the fact that there ain't any minor chords in that song. It's all major chords, which is a rarity for when I sit down to write a song. I mean, it's almost invariably involving minor chords. So yeah, this is, uh, it's all major chords, which, you know, would tend to make, a song sound brighter anyway, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it is, it is that tongue in cheek bit with uh, what is described in the verses, like you s- suggest is, uh, is not doing so great at all. You know, the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I showed up in Charlottesville 
wake the the title track you put this out also it's already out on spotify and the the streaming services what made this the right song for the title to be the title track for this album i guess at some point there was something of a consensus within the band what the individual band members felt best kind of represented what the band has become where we are now and a few of the guys at least claimed to especially like that tune and you know that played into it the fact maybe that it's a little more topical than some of the other songs even though kind of the references are are hopefully you know a little oblique because you know we were never gonna be a band or songwriters that were good enough to pull off some heavy political or social message i love it goes without saying you know everyone from Dylan to Springsteen to, I mean, you name it, but we just weren't good enough songwriters to, to begin to attempt that. So Stedman's probably uh, veers as close to trying to make some sort of social or political commentary as, as we, as we get. Yeah. And, and, and that might've uh, been part of the rationale for, for that song. And, uh, you know, the record is, maybe a little on the darker side and that song certainly fits the bill in that respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you talked about the, the idea of what it means to be a Southerner today. And I think there's a lot of that buried in this song. They, and not all that deep at times, I, I'm guessing it's not a coincidence that the choice of, of, of the lyric about Malvern Hill it's in the same state as the final verse about Charlottesville, just 72 miles away. That's really, yeah, that's, yeah, no one's uh, mentioned that until now, but yeah. And you know, the opioid crisis, which is the first verse hit Virginia, mm -hmm. especially hard. So it is a, it is a very Virginia centric <laughs> song. So yeah, yeah, that's uh that's a, a great point. It is, it's, it could well all be within the state. Well, two of the verses certainly are in the state of Virginia, and, and that first verse could be as well. Yeah. I like the way that the the music kind of falls away and, and gets stripped down for the last verse. It was, uh, I mean, it, it really gives it, I think, a power, even though there's there's less going on. I think it makes a, a, a stronger statement there in that last verse. Do you remember if that was your idea or if it came from somewhere else? That was not my idea. That came from John Plymall. I mean, you know, I, I think that I was thinking it would probably be a fine idea to drop down just for, for uh, dynamics sake. Mm -hmm. But no, I did not for one second contemplate something that stripped down. And, you know, you can you don't know how you're going to feel about something like that until you actually hear it. And when I heard it, you know, in the studio, I was like, well, yeah, that's pretty damn cool. And uh by all means, forget whatever idea I had about the final verse. Let's <laughs> let's go with that. So, well, that's yeah. Producers uh, sometimes they earn their money a little bit. <laughs> no, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do also like the lyric, uh, "These fine people with baseball bats," and it's <laughs> not a it's not a very hidden. Um, uh, you know, it's not very hidden what you're you know what you're referring to there. Yeah, that's not. Uh, I, I, I said I tried to be a little oblique like you say it's that's not especially oblique it's it's um yeah it's it's a little more um literal did you feel a particular anger at what's been going on politically to, that that sort of drove these these types of lyrics uh, and some of them maybe not being as subtle as as you would normally be 
Well, I was born in Georgia and, mm-hmm. and, and like I mentioned earlier, uh, lived in Macon, Georgia for a long time. So I'm, I'm here to tell you. And when we moved, uh, I was born in Georgia, uh, moved to North Carolina for a while. And when moved back, when I moved back to Georgia with my, with my family, I mean, the perception of people in Macon, Georgia with these kids from North Carolina are, are Yankees. Uh, I mean, that's how, you know, there's the South and then there's the deep South right? and the deep South being Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina and Virginia are more, you know, considered the upper South, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, anger. Yeah. A lot of anger, a lot of anger for a, a good bit of the previous uh, five, four or five years. And um, in, in what has been going on in this in this country? Yeah, yeah. Um, I live in. I'm not from here, but I live in Central Florida. And I always, when people tell me that I live in the South, I correct them and say, "No, I, I have to go north to get to the South." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, North Florida is the South, uh, yeah. as you point. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, Central Florida uh, and heading south. Uh, I guess with it, it's a thing unto itself i mean how do you characterize um the, the, the how do you begin to d- define what uh florida is and what being floridian is so uh it's difficult it, no one it, can seem to put their finger on it <laughs> yeah and i've asked i've asked that <laughs> yeah. um let's talk a little bit about burial art this is a very interesting term That's when you lift me Miss That's what you give me You might bury a lot, me too You can fall in a heart, me too And you don't bruise and I'm not amused And then the lyric, of course, dig me, dig me, dig me now. Mike, are you the burial art in this song? <laughs> no, uh, you know, this is, um, I, you know, I wrote songs, one song about, uh, I wrote uh, songs about my children. Mm-hmm. The burial art is the song I wrote um, with my wife in mind, which is, you know, that is pretty telling that I would write a song for her called Burial Art, or at least with her in mind. But no, just the, that metaphor, whatever, uh, the, the because, you know, there is burial art. It, it's a thing. So, you know, obscure enough to, you know, people would be saying, what the frig is this guy uh, talking about? But then it plays into the, like you just said, the whole uh, dig me is like, you know, I hope you dig me really nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was trying to somehow, uh, mesh those two part of the songs. And, um, but I like the yeah, double meaning there. It's a, it's a, it's a great double meaning. And it's, uh, it's, it's one of the things that I think that as a, as a writer, I've always tried to come up with fun double meanings like that. So it's kind of cool when it works like that. Well, yeah, I hope it works. I, you know, it's that's debatable, but uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate uh, the suggestion that it, the that there's some internal consistency there. Yeah. So, you're you're very self-deprecating about your your songwriting, but I, I feel like you do. I mean, you're very good at it. So, um, but it's it's good that you're humble, I guess. Enough to 
about universal glue. <laughs> I, I wondered if this mention of 75 was just coincidental or was that a callback to the song 7475? Because it's got a, a bit of a, a vibe of the ring, the same kind of vibe to it. And the word rings is in the song. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, all great points. Yeah, no, it's not coincidental. It, that's not the year that I, when I originally wrote the song that I used, because I'd started writing that song about the time that the songs for Ring were coming together. So you make a, a really astute observation. Yeah, it is sort of of a of a of a type with a lot of the other songs on Ring. You know, including the fact that it is a little more up tempo. But yeah, so the, yeah, it was purposeful. Uh, the reference to uh, seventy-five. Sticking with that question about whether things are intentional, the song "Stars." You also refer to stars in the songs "Song for Duncan" and "Hello, Walter." Is that coincidental? That is coincidental. That is coincidental. Yeah, I, I and I, I wasn't even aware of that. So thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, I was oblivious. Unless, uh, unless um, some part of my mind is working in ways that I uh, that I'm not aware, then uh, it was at, um, it was there was no purpose behind that. I'm not surprised. My own star's been fading lately, tumbling down to land in my lap. Yeah, uh, stars is uh, kind of an interesting little number. Um, you put a horn in there. There's a, there's a, what trumpet in there, right? There is. Yeah, and there's a, a little bit of trumpet, the outro of uh, of helium, and um, I think there's another uh, song that might employ a little bit of trumpet. This guy, a friend, his first play, uh, Mike Mole is his name, M O L E. Mm-hmm. And he first played with us when he was in high school here in Raleigh. I mean, maybe as far back as 87 or 88 or something like that. And then had gone decades without uh, playing with him. But then somehow we reconnected. And so on those occasions that we do get together to play, he'll often, if he, you know, uh, if, if circumstances allow, it w- will join us and play on some of the older songs that have trumpet like uh, over there and uh, two gone. And then, you know, some of these newer tunes. Do you embrace or do you shun the term jangle rock when you hear it associated (laughs) with you guys? Yeah. um, I think the answer would be neither. I, I get it. I mean, in the early days, George Huntley and I were each playing a flipping Rickenbacker 12 string. And, you know, I love the birds and I love when the Beatles employed 12 strings and, and anyone that has ever employed a 12 string, I love, but you know, you're sort of setting yourself up for that, <laughs> for that when you, when you, when you use two 12 string Rickenbackers mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, we were never going to be confused with, um, some more hard edge alternative music, certainly grunge. So, you know, I, I get it. I get it. I don't, I don't love it, but I, I don't, uh, I, I guess I, because it makes sense to me, I, I, I don't feel too much. I, I don't think it's a, um, a huge slight necessarily. Mm-hmm. I know you're tough on your, um, on the songs that you've written. You, you, at least you seem to be, but do you have a favorite song on Stedman's wake? Whoa. Um, uh, the song uh, Fading In, I wrote about uh, one of my, my kids. It'll dim your day no more. I'm fading in, and there's never really been that much of me.
And the other song, a little more obviously, a song for Duncan is about the other. Mostly. Please be even. Please be able. Please be everything you've got. Please be steady. Please be stable. Please be everything I'm not. Will you sleep all night? And you dream all day? And you reach up high? And stir your stars away? And you run on fumes? And you roll on rails? And you harvest hope? So, you know, I feel some, uh, I don't know, connection is the word. Those are a little more personal uh, to me than a lot of the other tunes for, you know, obvious reasons. But just in terms of um, sonically and and lyrically and and arrangement wise, uh, you know, maybe Rusted Fields. I don't know. Okay. You mentioned, Mike, um, the Birds and the Beatles already. Was there was there an album or a record when you were a kid that you gravitated to that like the earliest one you can remember? Oh, man. So this would have been 65, 66 that I was, you know, at the ripe old age of six and seven was absolutely enthralled with whatever, whoever was coming on Ed Sullivan on Sunday night. But I mean, obviously, even at that age, uh, I, I would have to say it was the Beatles that first just totally floored me. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Stones, a lot of my buddies, their older brothers were playing Stones records. But I mean, the Love and Spoonful, the first single that I ever owned was Do You Believe in Magic? I mean, where do you begin? And in, I think Blown in the Wind was the first, you know, I had an acoustic guitar at an early age. So that was I think the first song that I tried to write. So, um, I mean, all of it, I just was, my, my thinking was whatever it is these folks are doing, I want some of that. So it was, I was transported by, you know, what I was, what I was hearing. Mm. And then that, uh, that never, that never stopped. So. And when you went off to college, you know, do you, do you recall what you were listening to at that time? You mentioned the Smiths earlier. Oh, yeah. So yeah, my college years, 77 to 81, at some point early on in those years, it was all um, or primarily what was coming out of England from the clash, you know, the Sex Pistols to a less lesser extent, because, you know, there is that one record, like two songs on that record I love, and maybe the rest I could take or leave. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all of it, which also, you know, eventually coincided with, with MTV. And then closer to home, the Ramones, uh, Talking Heads, and then even far closer to home, REM, they, they shook me up pretty good. And the fact that uh, the rhythm section, Mike Mills and Bill Barry were making Georgia guys also, you know, uh, factored in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've, I've always been an Anglophile, and um, I mean, hell, I was living in Macon, really a few miles from where the Almond Brothers were living and recording, and you know, I understood, I appreciated in the early '70s how amazing those guys were, but I didn't fully appreciate how amazing they were, and I, it's not what I wanted to listen to at that age, yeah. um, which I'm so I'm going back before college, but yeah, college most mostly from from England, and then lesser known bands well well uh, you know you two of course not one of those lesser known bands but the undertones <laughs> from yeah. uh from northern ireland stiff little fingers from northern ireland um i mean i'm gonna be kicking myself for for not thinking of so many bands the jam out of london i love those guys the, they fit a little more into the jangle uh pop mode yeah. but um uh, the pogues love the pogues um, okay. So anyway, yeah. Do you, that's do, you, uh, do you still listen to a lot of music, or do you not have time to do that with the with the family and everything? 
I do have time, not as much time. And a lot of times I'm not the one selecting what's being played. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which is cool as well, because I'm, you know, then end up forced, uh, well, that I end up listening to stuff that I would not have otherwise listened to. And a lot of times find myself really enjoying that. I've been on a big frightened rabbit kick lately. So, but yeah. Yeah. How do you, uh, yeah, how I, do you guys listen? Do you, do you listen? Do you do vinyl? Do you do CDs? Do you do digital? How, how are you listening these days? Yeah. You know, as a songwriter, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say that I, uh, as a consumer, take advantage of, you know, the fact that you can pay 12, 15 bucks a month and have access to almost all the songs, you know, ever recorded mm-hmm. as a songwriter. I think it sucks pretty much, but so yeah, it would have, I, I held on to about 50 to a hundred of my uh, favorite albums and they're still sitting down uh, stairs. Hopefully they haven't been ruined by just sitting for so long, but yeah, no, have every intention of buying a good turntable and, and going that route again. Yeah. And uh, my, my, my kids are now getting to an age where they uh, think that would be really cool to, to be playing albums. Do you, have your kids been to your shows? They have. Yeah. What do they think? Of, what do they think of dad's band? Yeah. Uh, they've gone from being uh, completely embarrassed about it to, uh, <laughs> kind of seeing uh some aspects of it that that they think are are, are kind of cool they hear i guess from enough of their friends parents that oh oh you know back in the day we were going to see your dad play and you know own this record or that record and uh at school i guess some teachers uh expressed some interest uh, when they learned that you know their their dad was was in a band so they, they they're coming around yeah. a little bit it, it ain't you know it ain't they're not going to their rooms and putting on connell's records i assure <laughs> you that but uh if they're if they're at a party and one of the songs comes on i don't think they uh clear out of the, out of the house right away you know well baby steps right <laughs> yeah baby steps indeed when you talk to your brother David, do you guys ever just marvel that you guys are still doing this all these years later? Yeah, marvel would be one word for it. Uh, you know, we like uh, we look at one another, uh, the other guys in the band as well, and like, really, uh, what the hell are we doing? You know, <laughs> can we not, you know, act our age? You know, grow up and and just retire it for once and for all. It's old habits die hard. Yeah. So, um, I chalk, I chalk it up to that, but, um, yeah, we do. Yes, we do more. We do marvel at, at that, the thought. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I mean, I'm so 62 and the fact that I've been doing this more, uh, more than half of my life is, is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, what are the plans for Stedman's wake in terms of performing live? Uh, you guys aren't really, you mentioned you guys all have, real jobs uh you can't be touring for a few months so you know what are you guys doing with uh, in terms of live shows yeah a lot well yeah uh pretty hit or miss so we played uh, a show in durham north carolina not long after things were starting to open up mm-hmm. and venues were uh, again having live music so yeah that in june or may, maybe early July, we, we played over in Durham, uh, an outdoor show. And it, it went, um, not having played for a year and a half, there had no idea how that might go, but it ended up being a blast. It was a fun night and the reception was nice, but we've been, we've been really fortunate in that respect. We've, uh, we've had, uh, over the years, crowds that were really forgiving and really nice. And so that was the case that night we played in Nashville, Tennessee a few weeks ago, uh, the 17th of August. So just uh, about a month ago, um, we're going to be playing in Athens, Georgia and Atlanta, Georgia. It's uh, it's been about 20 years since we played. Well, I take that back. We did play an outdoor festival in Athens the summer before uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. And, and we have played in Atlanta still over the years, but uh, so yeah, Athens, Atlanta, and then Brooklyn, New York at the end of this month. Ash, Asheville, North Carolina, also this month, and then Chapel Hill, 
in October and our home, Raleigh, hometown Raleigh in December. And so that rounds out the year uh, 2021. All right. The, uh, the album's called Stedman's Wake. Uh, it, does it help you if folks buy it from your website? Do you get a little bit more money if they go through your website? I think the answer would be yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's yeah, the, so. theconnells.com? It is. Yeah. And where else can folks find you guys? You guys on social at all? I, I know you have a somebody's running your Twitter account because I, I, I I'm following that. But uh, you know where where else can people find you guys online? Yeah, um, I don't I don't have any. I don't I'm I'm not I, I'm social. Um, my social media acumen is as low as as it gets. But I think Twitter and Facebook, and then you know the streaming services. Mm-hmm. I, I know that's not social media, but anyway, yeah, it all works. Uh, Mike Connell, it's it's been a real pleasure for me to talk to you. I'm I think that the new album's great. Stedman's Wake comes out September 24th. Go buy it. Uh, believe it's even on vinyl, so vinyl people can uh, can have it. And um, you know, best of luck with it because it's a really great it's a really great record. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your questions. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's been a blast and I, uh, thank you for taking your time to do this. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Michael's record collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's record collection on social media at Mike's records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.